Well, I'm excited. Today we're going to talk about Jesus. Does that sound all right? Uh, we, we love Jesus around here, and we love uh, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And we specifically through this month are studying the nature, the character, the essence of Jesus. Tradition is known as like a Christology. It's the study of Christ and understanding his nature and his character and what makes him who he is and how powerful and loving and good and all the things that Jesus is. Like all of that really combined together makes this full understanding of Jesus. And we are doing this because this time of year is about Jesus, like in word, right? Like it's Christmas, but I know that life and overwhelming and money and everything just kind of wave after wave kind of crashes over us. And if we're not careful, everything except for Jesus becomes our, our attention and our focus during this time of year. And so we just want to take a deep breath together. Go, Jesus, we're going to focus on you. And so I want you to do that with me. Just take a giant deep breath in right now and let it out slowly. I mean, just close your eyes with me and just pray this as you breathe in deep. Lord, we just breathe in your presence right now. We breathe in your goodness. We breathe in, God, your love. And Lord, we just breathe out, do it, all of our anxieties, all of our fears, all of our concerns, God. We just lay them all at your feet, Jesus. You said, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. You do care for each of us, Lord. And so we just lay all this before you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, I, uh, I'm excited today. Last week, we unpacked the deity of Jesus, which is the fact that he is God. The fact that, that Jesus Christ, who came to earth, is fully God. And I think for many of us, that, that maybe isn't a necessarily a new concept. Uh, for those of us that haven't been around Christianity, that might be a challenging thought to consider that this, this teacher that you've heard of or this prophet maybe that you've heard about is actually God in the flesh. You're not alone in wrestling with that. Humans for all of history have wrestled with the fact that Jesus is actually God. The other end of that spectrum is, is both just as true as that Jesus was fully man. And today I want to unpack his humanity, or at least do the best we can to try to comprehend a bit more of his humanity. And, and, and this is a real tension, I think, that we understand in, in this room, and really for, for every human, we wrestle with this. How can Jesus be both fully God and fully man at the same time? How can the fullness of God dwell in him and he have bad breath in skinned knees sometimes. How is that possible? And I think that that tension is important for us just to acknowledge, like, hey, yeah, we all kind of wrestle with that. And I think we're supposed to. I think it's supposed to feel kind of like odd and feel like maybe I want to lean in one direction or the other. I'm a little bit more comfortable with Jesus as God and maybe less comfortable with his humanity or vice versa. Some of you really appreciate the fact that Jesus is your friend. He's close. He's, he's kind of like that, that confident in, in, in you and that one that you can walk with. Or others of you, you really appreciate that he is your source of strength when life is falling apart and he is that rock that you can cling to when everything seems to be chaotic. And I just want to pull the room a little bit this morning. This isn't a test that you're graded on. I just, I'm just curious about your leanings because I have leanings as well. Like, which, which of you in the room would say, man, I'm most comfortable with the deity of Jesus? You would put your hand in there and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Others of you, you would say, no, I'm most comfortable with his humanity. 
You'd put your hand in. Okay. I want to just do it again because I feel like only 30% participation doesn't really give us the full weight here. How many of you would say, man, I really lean towards the deity of Jesus? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. How about the humanity of Jesus? Okay, you can see that. That tension is, is really real. Um, and I would say that, that the majority of us, just by a show of hands, tend to lead towards his deity, meaning we have a harder time grasping his humanity. I think that's very normal. In fact, um, you, you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry and teaching. People were wrestling with his humanity all the time. They're like, you are a human, and we see you, and we can smell you, and all of those things, right? But, but you're claiming to be God. This doesn't really add up. I don't understand how this goes. Uh, even after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, there was rumors that started getting spread. Maybe, maybe the, the disciples um, stole his body out of the grave, and he didn't really actually uh, resurrect from the dead, and they hid his body somewhere else. And so he was just a normal human like the rest of us. Or else, maybe he, he didn't actually come in the flesh at all. He was just kind of a ghost the entire time, uh, a spirit showing up in different ways and times to kind of convince us that God was among us, you know. And, and, and it was that tension and those rumors spread all through the first century. Late in the first century, um, there's this teaching that started to emerge. It was called Gnosticism. It's based off a, a Greek word called gnosis, uh, which means knowledge or special knowledge, revelation. Yeah, best translated maybe like a secret. I've got a secret for you. You're going to want to know this special knowledge, this revelation that I have for you. And this was the secret that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. And this was a false teaching that began to spread throughout the early church. In fact, if you read the book of Colossians, we, we were reading out of some of it last week. Uh, Paul is, seems to be addressing this uh, heresy, false teaching, quite a bit through the letter to the Colossian church, saying, no, there isn't this secret revelation. There isn't this new knowledge that Jesus is fully God and fully man and that he has come in the flesh. And he seems to be addressing that. You go into later in the first century and you see this teacher named Marcion uh, emerge, and he was preaching this new gospel with this secret knowledge uh, that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. And this was a wrestling uh, for the church for the next couple hundred years. Much of our early theology was written to address this false teaching and to correct it. And it's really kind of interesting when you study those first three centuries of the church to see the impact of this conversation that we're having today, how important it was for the early church to get this right. And I think it's just as important today, but many of us just haven't had these kinds of conversations before and need to kind of be stirred to really think about this. So what if Jesus wasn't really human? What does that mean for us? The gospel that we preach is absolutely dependent on the humanity of Jesus. Everything that we purport to believe and to proclaim and to call people to is absolutely dependent on the full 100% humanity of Jesus. And I want to show you why today. Because I think for you to have this conviction in your heart is so important. Not only in your personal like interaction and relationship with God himself and your understanding of Jesus and his ability to bring life and freedom to your own soul, but also for 
Every neighbor and friend that we interact with, like how central Jesus' humanity is to every single person on this planet that has ever lived and ever will live. The humanity of Jesus is central. And I think it comes down to this one tension for me is that every single one of us have mistakes, sins, brokenness in our life. I think we can all admit that we are not perfect. And every one of those imperfections comes with a consequence and it comes with a, uh, a sense of uh, guilt, shame, and condemnation. And if Jesus' humanity wasn't really a thing, then every single one of us are defined by every single one of those mistakes. That is the sum total of our existence is our mistakes, our failures, our pains, the things that we have messed up. But if Jesus' humanity really is who he is and what he brings to each of us, man, that is something that we need and long to cling to, to understand fully what this looks like for each of us, to have a hope beyond this life, for this life and the life to come that is only found in Jesus. And so I want to look at his humanity a little bit today. Uh, Luke chapter 2, and this is the Christmas story. Uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, we've got it on the screen as well for you. Uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus, I want you to notice what Luke, the author, is doing here. He's a physician and he's um, very detailed in his account of Christ. Eyewitness, he interviewed all kinds of people and got all these eyewitness accounts put together. And then here as he's writing this, this prologue to the birth of Christ, he's establishing the birth of Christ firmly in a real time in human history because Caesar Augustus was a real Roman emperor <laughs> that you could read about in every history book if, if you would look up the history of Rome. In those days, this Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. There's another thumbtack in the timeline of human history that you could look at and go, oh, that was a real dude that really ruled in Syria. <laughs> and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Mary's really pregnant, and the time really came for this baby to be born. I know that these maybe seem like small, trite details, but... These anchor us in the, the reality of Jesus' humanity. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. He's not a ghost. He's a real baby that got cold, that needed to be wrapped in clothes and cloths, right? They didn't have a place for him to stay, uh, and, and so she placed him in this feeding trough, this manger, because there was no room for them in the end. If you fast forward to verse 21 of this same passage, on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, Jesus, this is a real human baby boy <laughs> that they are circumcising, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. Again, these details matter because they establish Jesus in a real slice of history, in a real place in the Middle East, in, in, in a real family with a real lineage, 
the, the family of David, the line of David, you see all these details. He was actually circumcised. He was actually named by his parents in that practice, that ritual that the Jewish families practiced. There's all this humanity laid out in Luke's account of the arrival of Jesus. You fast forward, or actually look at another gospel, John chapter 1 with me. John writes in, in his letter, um, he says, in the beginning was the Word. The capital W there means Jesus was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Look down at verse 14. The Word, this is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. I love that John says, I've seen him. He's a real person. I've seen his glory seen his humanity, and I've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to just kind of settle in on this for a second, that Jesus' humanity is central to our faith. It's central to an understanding, an accurate picture of who Jesus is. Because of Jesus' humanity, we understand what hope is. He actually became a human, like one of us, to bring hope to all humanity. If Jesus didn't come as a human, we would have no hope. And that is really summed up in one word. It's kind of a big theological word or it's kind of a math word, but the word for me that I really look at, where does this hope come from and where do we anchor it in? It's in this idea of reconciliation. Math word in the sense that you have an account and if it's reconciled, the balance is all equal out. It's all zeros. But, but, but your soul has an, an account as well. And every one of us start out in this life, these innocent little children with, with a will of our own and a desire inside of us. And at some point, this will and this desire um, begins to lead our lives, lead our decisions, lead our emotions, lead our thoughts, lead our, our, our way we treat people. And that account starts to get withdrawals made from it, if you know what I'm saying. Every time we have a cross thought, a, a word, a, an, an attitude that, that is sinful and dark and disobedient and rebellious, there's a withdrawal made from this account. And what was zero is quickly becoming negative, more and more negative all the time. See, this lack of reconciliation is, is what Jesus' humanity came to make right, to make make zero, make balanced. And, and for you and I, we would have no hope if reconciliation was up to us. I want to show you. You got to understand that we were made for relationship with God. We were made to walk in unbroken union with God. Genesis in the Garden of Eden, when God created man and woman, you see them walking, interacting, talking, engaged in the Garden of Eden together in this unbroken union. No shame was in the garden. There was no pain. There was no fear. There was no hiding. There was no blame. It was this perfect paradise of God and man in communion together. And then sin entered the picture. And that sin, that disobedience that Adam and Eve committed began to undermine God's creation, and he had to cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. But look at how we started. We started to be in our most fulfilled, most joy-filled place, and that is in 
unbroken relationship with God. That's how we are designed to be. That is where we are at our best, most fulfilled, most joyful is in right relationship with God. But because we continue to sin and make withdrawals on that, um, that account between us and God, um, there is a brokenness that exists in each of our lives, and that, that separation grows and grows and grows as the bank account gets lower and lower. The debt grows deeper and deeper. The pit is deeper and deeper. We find ourselves further and further from a relationship with God, from the way we are intended to be and created to be. And this is why Jesus' humanity is so, so central and so essential, is that 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 demand from God for us to be reconciled, to be back, we have to become perfect. Like that zero is perfection. And I think we all can acknowledge how, how far short of perfection we all find ourselves. The Bible says all do. Every one of us falls short of God's glory. His standard has been known throughout time. If you look at Scripture, you see humanity wrestling with God's standard. His standard has always been perfection. And everybody knows they fall short. <laughs> and, you know, the whole sacrificial system was established to help show people how far short they fall. And the presence of God was always sought after. God prescribed ways. I was reading uh, Leviticus 16 uh, last night. Because uh, I was thinking of Grayson, and uh, I thought he would be so proud of me. But Leviticus 16 is this day of atonement. It's this entire description of what it takes for one priest to go into the presence of God on behalf of all the people. The, the, the sacrifices that have to be made, the sheep, one for sacrifice, one for a, a scapegoat to be sent out into the wilderness, all the clothing that he has to wear and the way he has to wash and all the, the complexity of all of this is there to make it possible for one guy to go into the presence of God on behalf of all the people one time a year. There was this awareness in humanity that, man, God is holy and we are not. And if we're going to be in his presence in relationship with him, somehow we've got to atone for all of this sin and all of this brokenness and all of this debt that we've accumulated in our hearts and our souls that keep us separated from God. And I think that that awareness is really important for us to understand when it comes to Jesus' humanity. Because this is what makes his humanity so special is that Jesus was willing to come to earth as God's gift to every single human on this planet as a sinless substitution. And I think that this is really important. His humanity made possible for him to come to this earth and actually walk in our shoes, step in our places, be tempted and tried in the ways that we've been tempted and tried. And, and here's what's so critical about his humanity is that it was fully, he was fully human. He didn't have like a little deity advantage, like a little like get out of jail free card, you know, like, well, I'm God. So, you know, I can kind of, no, 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 100% human tempted and tried in every single way that we've been tempted and tried, yet remained without sin. Think about this. If, if, if this bank account is going to be reconciled, somebody has to be willing to 
take that bank account and actually transfer, transfer responsibility of it into their name. That's what Jesus did. See all that debt? Put it under my name. Put my name on that debt. I will pay it. I will stand in their place, and I will reconcile them to right relationship with my Father in heaven. Like, think of this. Like, he, he takes every bit of our condemnation and chooses, willingly substitutes his perfection and says, you know what? I, I'm going to take all of your debt and all of your account, and I'm going to give you mine. It's perfect. I'm going to put your name on this account. And I'm going to allow you to stand before my Father, not, not with your name and your abilities and your great stuff and all of your religion accumulated as this kind of um, you know, resume before God. All of that has been cast aside, forgiven, completely wiped away. And now when you stand before the Father in heaven, you stand there with the name of Jesus over you and over your life and the identity that Jesus has decided to, to give each one of us as a substitution of his perfection for all of our imperfection. Like what? What an amazing thought that this is how central his humanity is for us. If he wasn't fully human, God would be unjust in how he forgives us and reconciles us. Here's what I mean, that, that no advantage was given to Jesus as God. He remains sinless and perfect. Think of this. And this makes him a just sacrifice and substitute for us. What, what a powerful gift. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A sinless substitute. And I think uh, for me, the wrestling inside me is, is that feeling like my debt is so great and I got to figure out how to, maybe if I could just pay a little bit back today, a little bit, to, like, can I get on a payment plan, God? You know, like, can we... If I, but here's the problem, and then another day comes, and we have, we have immoral thoughts, and we say stupid stuff, and we, we accumulate more debt. What, what's so powerful about his humanity is it, it brings us to this place over and over, day after day of our desperate need for the grace of God. The grace of God is this, is that, that he doesn't demand from us any of that payment, but he chooses to take that on himself. Like, Wow. And it's a gift. It's not anything that you or I have done. It, it, Paul writes it so perfectly that it's, it is not by our work or our effort so that no one can boast. 100% a gift from God. This is his humanity. A sinless substitute, but also a satisfaction of the wrath of God. See, when you and I have that negative bank account, unreconciled account, we stand as an object of God's wrath. His wrath is not toward you like he hates you. God's wrath is toward sinfulness, unrighteousness. But when we are defined by sinfulness and unrighteousness, then we are standing in a place of recipients of God's wrath. And this is why Jesus' humanity is so central to our faith is that, that he was willing. I love the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jesus about ready to go to the cross one of the most human moments because Jesus is stressed out. He's literally sweating drops of blood as he's feeling the pressure of what he's about to do. 
Chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 39, says going a little further. He's in the garden with his disciples. He's asking them to pray with him. He goes a little further, and he fell on his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, Lord, yours be done. Listen to this cup that he's speaking of here. Most scholars all agree that this is a cup of God's wrath, that Jesus is about to willingly take, drink, on behalf of each one of us. This is him satisfying the wrath of God by taking the punishment of sin. Wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. And Jesus is about to willingly take this punishment on himself. So think of the goodness of Jesus' humanity. Not only did he substitute his perfection for all of your imperfection, but he also drank the cup that you and I deserve to drink. Like, this is how good his grace is, is that he was willing to actually take the punishment that each of us deserve to have for this, this debt that we've accumulated in our lives. The humanity of Jesus is so powerful. When we, when we really kind of step back and go, wow, I know it maybe makes you uncomfortable to think of God here amongst us as one of us and walking through all the things that humanity, but but I think how central it is for us to go, okay, man, I feel like sometimes, I don't know if you wrestle with this, but sometimes God feels like maybe he's upset at us or mad at me or I need to make things right with God. The humanity of Jesus steps in in those moments and goes, no, 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 I drank that cup for you. I paid that price for you. That shame does not hold anything over you. That condemnation doesn't define you. That sinfulness doesn't make you who you are. I paid that price for you. His humanity steps in and reminds us of the grace, but also of the mercy of God, that he would willingly take that on on our behalf. Like, what a gift his humanity really is. When he went to the grave, Jesus died crucified on that cross. He, he satisfies the wrath of God like we're talking about, but he also demonstrates this victory and this power, this resurrection from the dead. And I think that this is so critical too because his humanity makes this possible. Without his humanity, he would have been like God just hiding in a cave, right? Like, I didn't really die. I'm God. <laughs> but he's human. And so his breath left him. His spirit was was not there in that body. It was a real corpse. He wasn't like resuscitated after three days. He was really dead. That's why they pierced his side and they saw that blood and water flowed, that he was actually dead. And so they could pull him down from the cross, that there was this real place of death that Jesus went to on our behalf. And, and I think that the, the death of Jesus was so important because his humanity, again, is fully on display, and, and his resurrection from the dead now means so much more, that, that you and I could understand that his resurrection actually brings resurrection possibility for all humanity. Like, if he could actually get out of the grave and defeat death that way, then, then you and I don't have to actually be afraid of death either, that we are eternal beings with a soul inside of us that is going to live forever, and that, that if he can defeat death that way, then you and I, we, we could have that same victory over sin and death ourselves. This is why Isaiah the prophet wrote um, in Isaiah 53, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. 
And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, that satisfaction of the wrath of God, he, Jesus, will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, listen, after he has died, after he has been buried in the grave, he will see the light of life, this resurrection, and be satisfied. (laughs) By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. That's that reconciliation. The account's been paid in full, and he will bear their iniquities. He will make them right with God. Like, that is so good. He will actually make us right with God. Romans 6, 5, 7, and 8 says so powerfully, for if we have been united with him, with Jesus, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, that's that sinful nature inside of us, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe also that we will live with him. That is so good. The resurrection of Jesus as a real human makes it possible for every single one of us to experience that same resurrection in our lives. Not only freedom from sin, but a freedom from death itself. And we would have the the possibility, the, the ability to have a hope, not only for this life, but also for the life to come. See, his humanity makes hope possible for all humanity. And I just think, man, God, this truth of your humanity has been hard for some of us to grasp, but it's so central. I mean, really what I just shared with you is the gospel, right? I mean, I, I preach this almost every single week here. Some of you are like, man, we, we've heard this a lot. Yep, that's what we do. We talk about this all the time. But I want you to grasp the humanity of Jesus and how central his humanity is to everything we preach about around here all the time. Because if he wasn't really human, we don't have hope. We don't, we don't have the ability to stand today with confidence before our God. Our bank accounts are so negative. Our debt's too great. We don't have enough lifetimes to make it right again. And even if we did, we would still screw those lifetimes up. And by the grace of God, he says, no, 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 put my name on that debt, and I will give you my name in exchange. I will give you my perfection. I will give you my favor. I will give you my grace. I will give you my hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Like, what a gift. This is what Jesus' humanity makes possible. For me, like, this fills me with hope, but I also just start to ache for those that don't have hope. Those that don't know how good Jesus is, how forgiving and how loving and how, how, much, how much grace he has for all humanity. And I think that's part of what the gospel should do. It should move us to humility and gratitude, but also to action. To go, God, how is this world going to know who my friends, my my family that I'm going to see this week, like who's got to know God, how good, how, like the hope that we have in you. And I think the humanity of Jesus just helps ground me in that, that there's other humans walking all around us every single day that don't have that hope. And God, you put us in this slice of history. Caesar Augustus isn't our Roman emperor right now, right? It's some other guy. But here we are. 
with this same tension in our souls, the same debt that seems unreconcilable, with the same desperate need for the grace of God, and a, and a humanity all throughout this world that is desperate for this hope that is found in Jesus Christ. God, break our hearts. Same way that you were motivated, God, to come here and to pay for our sin, God, would we be motivated to help this entire world know how good you are and how much hope there is in you, Jesus.